This episode of Code Story is sponsored by A Personal Revolution Podcast. Have you been stuck inside wondering how to take charge of your life? Is there something you want to do but haven't been able to do yet? In Personal Revolution, best-selling author and life coach Allison Task helps you take control of your life with inspiration and humor so that you move from where you are now to where you want to be and have fun doing it. It's like having a personal coach whispering in your ear. This three-month podcast course, along with bonus episodes each month, will help you create a clear vision for what you want out of life, remove the frustrating blocks that are holding you back, develop a detailed action plan that will drive you to where you want to be, and build the network that will help you create your future. At $4.99 per month, the Personal Revolution Podcast comes with a personal workbook and real-time access to community of other change makers working towards their goals with positivity, possibility, and momentum. And for a limited time, all of this is available to you for free. Download the Himalaya app in your app store, look up Personal Revolution, and enter promo code REVOLUTION, all caps, all one word, at checkout to get your first month absolutely free. If you're ready to go after a better life, you're ready for Personal Revolution. Want to get a taste of the show? Stay tuned to the end of this episode for a sneak peek. That kind of discipline is required for mastering anything in life. But for programming, that just meant switching the medium that I was using. Like instead of an instrument, I guess you could say using my mind. I don't know that it's exactly that. But it was trying to figure out a different language than music and trying to figure out what drives it, what makes it make sense. Why would I do this? Why would I use this or that? And that's fun. I mean, that's a fun thing to do. I think it's fun to do with all kinds of things. I enjoy doing that with cooking. But you can apply it to all those avenues. And I think that musicians, among other people, that's what they're trained to do. They're trained to not give up until it is what it's supposed to be. I'm Stephen Namark. I'm the CTO and co-founder of Ziptility. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today how Stephen Neymark is taking utility companies all the way from paper maps to geo-tracked assets. All this and more on Code Story. Stephen Neymark started out his professional career as a clarinet performer. Through his passion for performing, he grew not only as a musician, but as a person, finding joy in the discipline required for his craft. After not enjoying the teaching aspect of music, he began looking for something different to help separate him from music, to provide some clarity. Along the way, he fell in love with web development and made a universe change to do it full-time. Eventually, he started building a solution to totally modernize the water utility space, called Ziptility, a platform providing asset, task, and inventory management for water utilities. Ziptility is a platform for water utilities. We focus primarily on rural or mid to small size water utilities. It's just seeing the operators of these water utilities as heroes. Maybe that's a strange idea to some people, but the people that are responsible for the water systems of our cities and towns do a lot of work and they have a lot of responsibility. And they have to daily manage a lot of specific tasks with physical assets, data is leaking somewhere, or a pipe needs to be changed, or all kinds of specific tasks that most people would have no clue. And they do it in the background, and they do it uh, faithfully. 
But the technology involved in that, just to manage all those things, the options are kind of limited and they don't set out to go and write software necessarily, but they should have a software that caters to them and is, has an empathy for what they're doing. And how did it get started is kind of like a hazy memory at this point. But <laughs> I guess one example of where it kind of got started was I was working for a company that did GIS specific work. And we had a couple of times here and there just realized that the technology that we were using while it was very powerful wasn't necessarily that flexible. And if I wanted to apply it to different scenarios, it just took a lot of work. You had to really know what you were doing. And that's fine for those of us that really enjoy that. But we had a couple of people that were like trying to do some things and we were like, yeah, this isn't easy. I think it could be easier, but there's nothing out there that's just sort of like a plug and play. Ziptility definitely isn't necessarily a plug and play, but we really see sits in the middle between the powerhouse software out there for GIS work and the Excel spreadsheet of the day. So a lot of people in the utility space, water space that do this work, they might have paper maps or spreadsheets. They might keep track of things on just a notepad. They might call each other and just tell each other something and then they have to just go do it. And so most of the time, they're not doing some very challenging data crunching, but rather they want to have the information they need at their hand. They don't want to be able to just you know, the idea that I want to be able to access everything from a device that I trust and that is catered to me, that makes sense for my situation. And so little by little, started to see that need and started to build on top of that need. Very cool. Tell me about the MVP. Tell me about how long it <laughs> took to build and you know the process you went through to build it. Give me that story. This, our, this startup, as opposed to maybe some other startups, we didn't necessarily have a, a pitch night or a, here's an idea and we're going to pitch it and we're going to sort of cap our time, build that thing and try to sell it and try to go from there. It happened pretty organically. We were working on something and I think maybe from the time we built something that was somewhat usable to the time someone first bought it or actually, you know, like I said, I'll use it for real for my actual day-to-day -day work. I think it was probably a few months. I don't think it was much more than that. At the very most, it'd probably be a year. So in the early days, you remember kind of some of the decisions and trade-offs you had to make in the short term and how you kind of cope with that? Yeah. So in the early days, we were trying to make a couple decisions about how do we display this information on the map? And you know, most people are used to Google Maps or something like that. There's a lot of different ways that information like this is, is displayed, but we wanted to do it in a way that we really gave us a lot of options going forward because we didn't quite know what we were going to turn into. We didn't know where we were going to go or what needs would arise. So we were looking at different providers or like libraries or something like that out there. And for a while, we used Leaflet for map rendering. And it was great. And it's a really great library. And at some point, we made, were made more aware of Mapbox. And if you've never used Mapbox, it's fantastic. We did a big overhaul to make use of that. And I don't want to claim right now that we use it in all the ways. Mapbox is very deep, so we don't use all of the different things that they provide. But we really love the fact that our platform and our software, people use it natively on their phone and on the web. And Mapbox had the SDK for iOS and Android, and they had the web vector maps, and all these different things that were just were great, that were just like really sensible, easy to use, powerful, without being out of reach. So at some point, we just kind of made a decision to switch to that, go full speed. And then beyond that, like, I mean, the data itself, we over time just inched our way towards some decision, but we wanted to focus on it being native. We tried out React Native. It was great in its own way. Just made a decision that we preferred to do it on a native platform. And that was great. And it's been great ever since. 
Tell me about how the product has progressed. How have you matured it throughout the process and how did you go about that process? We really have like great customers. And so we had a customer or so early on. I think that was really a big deal and it's really helpful. And we really asked them month by month for information. Just, hey, like what's going on? What do you think? And there were times when they were just like, it's fine, it's great. And you're like, okay, cool, it's great, but it's not done. So what do we do now? You know, and <laughs> one thing that we look back on over and over is that there was a list that was made basically of like the you know, 10 to 20 basic features that it was going to have. And we just started going down the list. And honestly, from the time that list was made until the time that we fundraised, that list didn't change. And we just kept going. We had sort of like a basic vision. And we just tested that vision all the time. We would ask people like, does this still make sense? Like, here's what the next thing we're going to do is. Does that make sense? And they would say yes. And then we would go pitch to someone or sell to someone else. And they would say, yeah, this makes sense to me. Like, I see this need. I could use this. I think I would really enjoy it. And then, you know, we would make sure that if we weren't going to build something that was going to be tossed away, you know, in a month or so. So if it didn't feel like it was at the heart of what we were trying to solve, we just didn't do it. And that was hard because there's a lot of times when you really want to build all kinds of different things that doesn't make any sense. So we leaned on our customers as, as they came on to just say, tell us where we're missing the mark. And they were just awesome. They would tell us all kinds of stuff all the time. They're big supporters. They are the kind of people that will write you a note and say, hey, this thing sucks, but thank you. I'm loving it. <laughs> but this thing sucks. <laughs> <laughs> or like, I don't know what, how to use this. And we can tell them this is why we did it. Here's how we use it. Most of the time, they get it. I think we still have basically the same vision from the beginning. We're just refining it down to whatever the essence of it is. And we are still asking our customers at every rollout, like, what do you think? What could we be doing better? What's the next thing? Creating a truly professional sounding podcast used to require expensive software, twisting confusing knobs and waiting for long exports in the hopes that your podcast episodes would sound good enough before doing it all over again the next week. That's why I use clipgain.io for code story. Podcast creators like me choose Clipgain over complicated plugins because I can take the guesswork out of post-production, consistently sound amazing every week, and rest assured knowing you will enjoy a wonderful listening experience. I don't know how many times I've found myself unhappy with the quality of my recordings, the polish of a clip, or the levels of a recording Using ClipGain, I no longer have to worry about how many knobs to turn, levels to set, or filters to use. It just works. Make your podcast sound loud, clear, and clean in only one click with ClipGain.io. That's C-L-I-P-G-A-I-N dot I-O. Have you ever spent a bunch of time brainstorming email subject lines only to be disappointed by the open rate? Why not just text your users instead? SMS open rates are 98%. Send out a download link to your app, let users know about a new release, or provide two-way customer support. Simple texting makes it easy. Text Code Story to 555-888 and get an instant demo and 50% off your first month. Seriously, grab your phone right now and do it. Text Code Story, all caps, all one word, to 555-888. Data and message rates apply. Use text to instantly connect with new and existing users today. Sign up at simpletexting.com slash code story. Right. So in, in that feedback that you get from them, how are you taking that feedback and converting that into a product roadmap? How are you prioritizing those next items to build? 
I think that we're at a transition point where we have the roadmap we've had from the beginning. We have a, that kind of a clear vision of where that's going to be. That ideals ideas are not done, but like you know, the first stage of them are done. And so we're trying to make sure that as people come on and as we sell to, to find new people that will use it and will love it, we just ask questions. And so as far as like how we lay that out in a product roadmap, I mean, I wish I had some great answers to that. If you were to look at all the tasks that we have and all the things we have, no one would be impressed by it. No one would say, wow, like this is like crystal clear. I think there's a certain amount of just understanding that as you work with your co-founders over time that you're like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, it's not going to work. You know, as we bring on more people, we're going to have to really get much more disciplined, um, notating all of those things. We have a long list. We have uh, sprints. We do all the, the basics, but there's also just kind of a gut instinct that we're still going by. And some people would maybe are horrified by that. But so far, it's about continuing to stay true to what we started. And until we that changes, I think we're feeling good about it. No, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, you guys are a new team, a, a fairly small team, and you're really close with your customers. So you know, you don't need this big, you know, mechanism or operation just for your roadmap or managing your pipeline of features right now, which can make you really nimble really quick. So that's really interesting. How big is the team? We are three of us, and we have some other smaller mentor influences, but day to day. As far as building, planning, selling, there's three of us. Gotcha. So you're CTO, and do you have any any other developers on the team, uh, and the founders or not? We did. I had a good friend of mine, and he actually rolled off just about a month ago. Super grateful for all of his contributions. Uh, but at this point, just me right now in the process of figuring out. Gotcha. So tell me about how you're going to go about that process of backfilling that person and um, what characteristics are you looking for, technical or otherwise, in that winning horse? Man, that is a great question. I think that I'll be very honest that I don't have some great answers to that. I think that for us and for me, what I look for is someone that could catch the vision of what we're doing and say, I get it and I wouldn't want to do anything else. And that's such a big ask. I mean, it's a crazy, like, why would you ever do that? I mean, even for us on the team, there's nothing that attractive about saying, hey, do you want to come work for this water sewer startup? There are a ton of startups out there that do all kinds of things that sound very fun or sound very up to the minute. And to try to get someone a vision for what we see and the opportunity that we see here is, is hard. Um, I think I can articulate it more now than I ever could before. But specific skill-wise, you know, obviously... The person would have to be very comfortable in whatever language they are in crafting data and managing how we move data from one system to another. I mean, we have all kinds of different things that we keep track of on these utilities. And we have a platform that where data moves between web and iOS and Android and all kinds of things. So it's not the most complicated thing in the world by any means. But someone who can build out a system that can stand the ages. If you look at all the different approaches to web development these days, I'm constantly reminded like people have been building great web applications for a long time and you don't have to be using the newest flashiest thing and that's actually something that, like I'm burned by before about hey let's like here's this brand new thing that came out yesterday let's like totally change everything to use it that's not what we want someone who's attached to a specific language or a specific framework the maturity to see past all that and the maturity to to have the discipline to say like let's do something very holistic we have a roadmap. And so someone that kind of look at that roadmap and say, yeah, I get it. Let me talk you through it, right? So I think that would be probably one of the questions I would ask, like, how would you do this? How would you architect this system? I mean, you can give other systems as examples. 
sometimes people might say, how would you architect you know, Pinterest or whatever? But seeing how someone would explain that, like what mechanisms they would use, what databases they would use, how they would verbalize it, how they might draw it. Those kind of things I think are big insights. And then I think secondly, like personality and character is a huge thing. Someone who is humble, but confident, who like does have a strong opinions, but is not there to run you over with them. I mean, there's just no need for that. So we as a team really enjoy working with each other and we really enjoy the opportunity that we have. We're really grateful for the opportunity that we've been given, not only by our investors, but by our customers and everybody involved. And so we want to do the best we can with all that. So I think that someone that can come on and, and just catch a vision for that, be excited about what we're doing, where we're going, and has the, the maturity to help us build that up. Let's talk about scale. How are you focusing on scalability at the size you are now? And sure. how are you keeping an eye for the future? The system that we built and, and the needs that we service, the global scale side of it, it really doesn't exist right now. It's pretty local. It's not super heavy usage, like as far as like minute by minute. So we don't have this current, like if you would look at our basically like metrics of usage right now, right? It's not like this crazy direction that we're like, we're at risk of a fleet of servers tomorrow. So we've actually been pretty lucky in that area that we have the room to innovate and to, to build. We have, as of right now, technically, yes, we use multiple services to put together our platform. I don't want to use the, the word microservices exactly because there's a lot of infrastructure there involved with microservices that we don't have yet that we're working on. We want to build out. We're, we're really excited about. But you know, we constantly keep a lookout for the areas of our architecture, like our messaging platform, messaging system. If that was all of a sudden getting overloaded in some way, like could we horizontally scale it? Like, is it possible? And as long as it is, we want to be aware and willing to do that. And like, not just willing, but like, we want to do it <laughs> as soon as we need to. But if it's not, then we're not going to worry about it. We need to keep an eye on it, but we're not like premature, or we're trying not to, at least I'm not trying not to, prematurely add more work to our current load just to, for the unnecessary sort of like scaling concerns. But I think that we have a, a system that's set up that if we need to do that, uh, we could do that in a short amount of time. That's very cool. What are you most proud of? I think a lot of people would say that they want to build something that people use. And a lot of people would say that they want to build something that people enjoy. I, for a long time, kind of called myself jokingly a barely used website maker. And, <laughs> you know, I would build a website or be a part of a website build that was a lot of effort and a lot of excitement. And then you kind of knew that it was going to be barely used. And that's fine. Like, there's a need for that. There's a reasonable reason to do that, I guess. It's a job. But I definitely am proud of, like, us finding and working together with people that have a genuine need and not getting too stuck on our own outlook because we're not water operators. I mean, it just doesn't, it wouldn't make any sense for us to say this is how water operators should use software. But at the same time, we are product people. We, we, we want to be, we try to be. So we try to say like, hey, there's a need. We're going to solve this with a product. It's not a physical product per se. It's a digital product. It's information product. But we want to make sure that when they go to use this software, that they're enjoying it and that they're not constantly frustrated by some decision that we made that we feel like is the exact right decision, but they're saying, hey, like, I don't want to use this. I'm proud of us like not getting too stuck on our own, by our own egos or our own pride, but rather kind of keeping an open ear and you know, at times sort of nudging them towards something that they've never, never thought of before. You know, Even so, for example, using the cloud, <laughs> there's a lot of industries that would say, I just don't know that I trust the cloud. I don't know that I trust putting my data somewhere out of my reach. And so we've had to talk to that and assure in that area. And so I think I'd say I'm proud of us having customers and that 
on a day-to-day basis use it. I mean, if you go into our system, we go into our system often and just see how they're using it. And we're just like, wow, that's cool. Like they're doing real things with it. Maybe for some people that's simple, but for us, it's it's what it's about. It's about them using it for real to actually like do things that they really enjoy, do, that they, they have to do, making it their life easier just a little bit every day. Oh, for sure. So would you consider the water operators pretty tech savvy or is this a kind of a new world for them? If you're listening, water operators, the answer is yes. I would say no, not really. They're definitely changing. So there's actually a change of hands that's kind of happening. Our water infrastructure is getting older and older and older, and it's starting to deteriorate. And the change of guard is kind of happening where those that have all the internal knowledge are starting to leave. And a younger group is coming in and they're saying like, hey, where is this stuff? I want to access it. And they'll say, okay, well, it's on that map over there, like paper map, or it's in that computer that's like in that other room. And they'd say, well, why can't I have it on my phone? And the answer to that question is, most people don't have a great answer to that question. They say, well, you know, the license cost over here, or this other thing over here. So the young crowd that's coming in and is tech savvy, and they say, I can have the world on my phone. Are you saying I can't have the information about this meter on my phone? That's what we see is like, we build software that is for the, the water operators of whatever group. Like it works for those who are not tech savvy. It is not overly complicated. It tries not to get in your way too much. But for those that are, those that really do enjoy and see the value of ubiquitous software, and they see where it's going. Right on. Tell me about a mistake that you made and how you and the team responded to it. If you mean deleting the production server by accident, that's probably one. They can't explain it too long because it was so super simple. Like, you know, you just, we have a couple of different development servers and like, I'm just clicking around and hit delete because we had been using one and we were just done with it. We were moving on. And for whatever reason, like I had picked the wrong one. I just selected the wrong item. And at the time, for whatever reason, didn't have deletion protection put on. I don't remember why. We always did, but so I don't know why at that time I didn't. It was a very nonchalant afternoon. Nothing crazy was supposed to happen that day. And just deleted it. It was just gone. It's one of those moments where I'm grateful that we set everything up using basic container practices because we actually had an image. We had all the stuff we needed. We just spun up another image and pushed all the right buttons and it was fine. So it honestly took about five minutes, maybe 10, which is a long time for some people. But like for us at the moment, it felt like forever. I mean, it felt like a long time. It felt like way a long time. It was pretty uneventful uh, at the end of the day, but you like, I'm pretty sure everything's going to be okay. Like I'm pretty sure I haven't lost anything that I would have any real local state on our server. So there wasn't any reason why we would have lost anything catastrophically, but you know, just that kind of internal feeling of like, wow, you have to just move quickly and fix it all. And so we were at the stage where we're small enough that it's like, it was like literally one server, but we had enough clients. That it was like, wow, like they're going to notice. And you don't want to make that mistake ever again, obviously. That's a good learning experience. <laughs> Very good learning experience. Yeah. You have to think really fast. And I was grateful that we had basic stuff available that it wasn't that big a deal by the end. So what does the future look like for Ziptility and the team? I'm excited to find out. I know that we are every week, we're being diligent about having conversations, making sales, closing sales, building our roadmap out and making sure that we validate all the things that we build. You know, we're going to be at conferences. We're going to be at any kind of event that we can be. We have international sales, which is cool. And that was a surprise. Can you tell me about the international sales? Basically, and there was an article in a publication and we had an inbound, uh, just a cold inbound that asked about it. And when I looked at it, I looked at it and I was like, oh, Okay, where is that in Indiana? Because we're basically headquartered out of Indiana. And I looked at it and said, I don't know that that town in Indiana. I never heard of that. There's all kinds of towns I never heard of, so it wouldn't be that surprising. You know, I just like map it. It takes me to the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, oh, there's an island here. And I just zoom in. 
sure enough, that's the name of the island. And sure enough, that was it. Like a week later, we were talking to them and it was great. But when we got started doing all this, we, I mean, you have no real way of knowing who's going to be interested. Like, how would you know? But we've, we're excited about anybody. We want to facilitate and, and work hand in hand with the water operators around the world. We're not just, you know, in one state. Right. That's amazing. Yeah, it's fun. It's super cool. I mean, it just opened our eyes to the fact that like our world is only so big at times and that there are people all over the place that need this. Anyone out there that is responsible for a water system to, we want to talk to you and we want to see if what we have is right for you. Tell me a name of an architect or CTO or tech person you look up to and why. I don't have a lot of names to go by. I also worked in a lot of roles where I didn't necessarily have a leader above me that I looked up to. Strangely, I was always like one of the people that was responsible for things. So I think I would say like my first, the friend who got me started, Robbie, I look up to just the the kind of person he was at the time and it still is, <laughs> which is very open-handed. And he had a, a passion and a creativity. It wasn't a stagnant environment. It was very encouraging. Successes were uh, celebrated. I remember one time when I was uh, very early on, I was learning how to just do anything, like just how to make anything work. And I had an idea and I ended up using a library and I was very sad. He was very much like, great, like you did it, you know, you figured it out. And I felt bad because I wanted to do it from scratch. I wanted to do, you know, actually write it. He was very encouraging of saying like, hey, you are where you are and you're getting there. So just keep going. And I, I think those little moments, as small as they felt at the time, stuck with me about just being encourageable like, and encouraging each other in this process. And I think it's just so important. Like, We just can't be this crazy, unnecessary, critical nature that can happen, looking down on others, that kind of thing. I was very thankful for that encouragement, for someone who would just take me in and say, hey, like, you can figure it out. And just the spirit of, I think the spirit of, of his mind was something that was a very broad and open world. That was really fun to step into. Sounds like he was a great mentor. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? I spent a long time over the years doing a lot of front-end development, which I'm thankful for, but I would have spent a lot of time doing all kinds of stuff. I would not have limited myself for the first few years to that. I would have told myself like, like if you're figuring this out, go try something else out. I needed to work. Like I needed to actually like make a living. <laughs> so it wasn't that I had no desire. I just so consumed by work. So if I can go back and say, okay, you can still make a living, still do all this stuff, but just go try everything. Run any software that you can figure out. And if it sounds like something that could be interesting, go do it and go see if it's something that you could really get yourself involved in. Um, I also probably would have gone to more kind of meetup or conference things. I never really did that. And I don't really have a good reason for it, but there's just a big community out there that once years later, when I started to be more involved, like coding schools and that kind of thing, that I just saw that there's a huge community out there that could have supported me earlier on because I had the drive and the desire and I just needed other people around me. So there are a lot of times over the years where it was very hard just to be kind of in your own space and figuring all this out. And just to have a group would have been great. So I would have probably found that group. What advice would you give to someone just getting started down the road of a startup? So you're on a plane, you're riding, you're sitting next to someone who's got their laptop out, they bust it open, they want to show you their new idea and they're just fresh and just getting started. What would you tell them? There's a difference between building software that you enjoy and then building something that's going to be a successful business. And if you build software that you enjoy, you should just do that. And you should definitely be excited about it. But if you're saying, I'm going to build software that's going to be a startup and be a successful business, you have to be willing to step into the world of business, reading books on business, finance, reading about what it takes for a startup to succeed. And if you don't want to do that, 
Like I get it. <laughs> I get that that's not very attractive at times, but just know that somebody else is going to do that and they're going to be in charge of those things. And so if you take pride in your software, if you take pride in this little thing that you've made and you want it to be to like the pureness of it to kind of sustain, you have to be able to be knowledgeable about things because as soon as you get down the road of it becoming a business, a lot of people are going to start to tell you all kinds of stuff. They're going to try to take it in all kinds of directions and they're going to start to validate it for you. And they're going to tell you it's not valid because of certain metrics. You're not going to sell enough fast enough. You're not going to sell enough big enough. You don't have a market. You know, you don't have a brand. There's all kinds of stuff. And they're right until they're wrong. And so if you're going to build something, like keep building it, go sell it. Like if you validate it, like go try to sell it immediately to somebody. Sell the idea. You don't have to sell an actual physical working system. Just sell the idea. And if people buy the idea then great, you're onto something. Go build it and go deliver it and then see if they still like it after you've actually built it because the idea is very amorphous. And then when you actually put it together, it's a physical thing that now they have to actually use their eyes to understand and not just their mind, their imagination. And it's different. It really forces them and forces you to come to terms with your limitations. I mean, you can't build everything in a week. You know, like you said, your roadmap, like where do I start? I don't want to build too much too fast. So I'd say like build, just build and build and build. And... If you don't try to sell the idea or try to sell it to someone pretty quickly, you might get stuck in that place where you have all this stuff and then you kind of putter out because it just doesn't feel like it's going to work out. Uh, we're thankful. We're grateful that we have people that have, we've been able to catch the vision pretty early on, but there's a lot of ideas out there that just don't work out and that's normal. That's okay. They have to have some structure and they have to make sense in a market and you have to be able to convey that to people that are actually going to put money uh, into your business. That's great advice. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you for being on the Code Story podcast today. I really appreciate you telling the story of Ziptility. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Labhart. Season two episodes are co-produced and edited by Bradley Denham. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to 10 bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Hi, my name is Allison Task, and I am the host of Personal Revolution. Are you ready to be happy and do that thing you always wanted to do? Well, I am thrilled to announce that I have now made available for free the Personal Revolution podcast course. This course is based on my best-selling book, and it is now yours for free wherever you like to listen to podcasts. It includes 10 original episodes with plenty of never-released-before content, and then it includes a premium version for $4.99 a month. You will get a customized workbook. You'll get access to a private community on Himalaya, and you'll have just-in-time audio drop-ins from me again in the community on Himalaya. Just go to Himalaya.com, look up Personal Revolution, and type in Revolution to get your first month for free. I'll look forward to seeing you in the community.